what's up everybody? This is Maddie Moon with episode 3 of Mind Body Musings, the podcast where you can learn the most intricate details about the body, the mind, and how lifestyle choices link the two to create individual health for every shape and size. Today I have a very special guest on the show here to talk with us about a subject very dear to my own heart. Isabel Fox and Duke focuses on the relationship between food, the body, and the mind. She helps women to stop being crazy about food and weight. She is a certified health coach and emotional eating expert. Isabel also teaches women how to make choices around food effortlessly without obsessing, counting calories, or binge eating throughout the night because she knows that all women can have the lives they dream about, a life that does not include weight obsession, food restriction, low self-worth, and body shaming. Welcome to the show, Isabel. Thanks, Maddie. I'm so glad to be here. I know. I'm so excited. I feel like we have so much in common and so much to talk about. I'm excited. I'm yeah. I'm ex- I'm very excited to like get this rolling. Let's do it. <laughs> so, uh, can you tell the listeners a little bit about your background and the journey that you've traveled thus far? Well, that's a really big question. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I mean, sort of the short answer to that is that my relationship with food was pretty screwed up for most of my life, starting at, at a pretty young age. Like I don't, I don't really ever remember a time in my life, quite honestly, that I didn't think that I was fat and that I, and that I didn't think that that was like a horrible, bad thing. Um, and I remember, you know, really like starting dieting and being really conscious of my weight at a very, very young age. I think I've told this story before on podcast, but I'm pretty sure that, um, you know, my pediatrician put me on like a baby diet when I was really, really young. My mom jokes and she called it the, the broccoli and skim milk diet. And, you know, my whole, you know, my whole family was just really, really conscious of their weight and what they were eating all the time, both for me and my sister. But I think I definitely probably got the brunt of it just being the oldest and whatever. So always, just never not conscious of my weight and food always my entire life. I literally do not remember a time that that was not the case. And, um, you know, as I got older and, you know, into my teen years, et cetera, this just got more and more progressive into more disordered eating behavior, you know? Um, but for me, when I got to high school, binge eating was kind of, you know, it was funny. I, I thought that binge eating was the problem. I thought that overeating was the problem and I totally didn't think it was a problem that I was obsessed with food all day. Like I just, I just took that to be just kind of the way it was. Like it didn't occur to me that maybe I could live a life that wasn't, that didn't revolve around diets every single day, all day long, constantly counting calories. Like I kind of just thought that that was what I had to do in order to look a certain way or whatever, in order to live the life I thought that I wanted, right? Like get guys to like me, like get make my friends respect me, wear the cute clothes. I don't even know what I was thinking because I was actually, to be quite honest, pretty thin throughout most of this time period, I just didn't think I was. And I, um, but I was, but I was definitely binge eating, like definitely, definitely. And I thought that was the problem. Like, I really thought that that was like, like if I wasn't binge eating, everything would be fine. And so at some point throughout high school, I actually started to go the other way and the binges became more and more extreme. And the restriction was also becoming more and more extreme, but the binges were getting like so much more severe as I was trying to control more and more, which is, you know, now makes complete sense to me. But at the time I just like didn't understand. I thought I was going crazy. Was it like a a daily binge? I mean, it was just like, uh, I don't even really like remember like how often it was. I just remember like constantly feeling like I was always trying to go on these really, really extreme restrictive diets, like to like barely eating anything throughout the day. And then I would like come home and I would just remember, I remember having these moments of like sitting down to do my homework, like starving and just being like, Oh my gosh, like I can't do my homework unless I go eat like an enormous amount of food right now. And then I would eat to the point of getting sick and then I couldn't do my homework. You know, like it was just like this like cycle. Um, So I couldn't even remember telling you like how frequent they were. I'm sure there were days at a time that I strung together, right? Like I'm sure I strung days at a time of being on some like quote unquote like healthful diet and like sticking to something. Um, But I know at least later in my life, which is kind of later on down the line part of the story, I know I was in, I was in Overeaters Anonymous for several years. That was like part of my story post 
post quote recovery, although it was kind of like the wrong kind of recovery in my opinion. And I, um, couldn't string together. I definitely couldn't string more string together more than a month without completely losing my shit. And that was like over the course of like three or four years in OA. So, um, so yeah. So, so then when I was, I guess when I was, when I was 19, um, I was doing, I started using drugs to, to try and control my weight, like stimulants, like, like pills and all sorts of stuff. And I, that was actually the only way that I could keep myself from eating. Like at that point, that was literally the only way that I could keep myself from eating like mass quantities of food is the only way that I could control myself. So, I mean, if this isn't clear already, like you're talking to a very low bottom binge eater, low bottom, like disordered eater. And, um, I eventually, like I was in college at the time and they found out and I ended up getting kicked out of school and get going to rehab when I was 19. And that was sort of the beginning of my journey. I was actually really, really receptive at the age of 19. I was not one of those people, you know, a lot of teenagers are, you know, dragging their heels at the thought of going to rehab. That was not me. I was so thankful. It was like such a blessing. Like, I think it was like a total cry for help you know, by the end, I was really desperate for help. And I didn't really know how to ask for it at that time. I didn't really know what to do. I didn't think I had a problem. I mean, I, I, I didn't, I didn't realize that I didn't really know that there was an answer or that like somebody could help me. So anyway, so I went to rehab and I was in like a clinical eating disorder program and they put me on a meal plan and got me clean. And, you know, I was living this like really, really prescribed life where it was like everything was very controlled. I got out. I was clean. I was um, I was eating very prescribed meals. Right. Like I was staying on this meal plan. And I remember they said, OK, like now you're out of rehab. You're on your own. Go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings. And so I was in OA, which was kind of like where I was, what I mentioned before, for several years, which is kind of like AA, where there's an abstinence model around food, right? So there's like a way to eat that's okay and a way to eat that's not okay. And the definition of recovery is that you stick to the way that's okay to eat and you don't cross over into the way that's not okay to eat, hmm. and what, however that's defined. And that was incredibly problematic, right? I mean, like, ultimately, that was really just the same thing as a diet. It was just like a diet with this mental health bent. So, you know, it was sort of like one of the ways I kind of um, relate it to what I call the emotional eating diet, which is kind of which is something I talk about a lot on my blog, which is sort of like, there is still a specific you're still dieting, in a sense, there's still like a way to eat that's okay, and a way to eat that's not okay. But it has this sort of facade of being healthy or mentally healthy because, you know, you're theoretically, you know, it's the it's the eating outside of when you're supposed to this quote unquote emotional eating that's really bad and we shouldn't be doing. And it's, you know, akin to doing drugs or boozing, you know, when you're an alcoholic. So Um, and I couldn't, I couldn't get abstinent in quotes. Like I couldn't do it. I never was able to string together more than four weeks. And I was in this program for three or four years and miserable and just so despondent. Like what is wrong with me? Will I never be able to eat normally? Will I never get over this ever? And, um, it was somewhere around, like around that time that I started, I picked up a book, called Breaking Free from Emotional Eating by Janine Roth. Oh, I love her. Yeah, she's awesome. And she's kind of like the queen of intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. That was the first time that I ever had heard of intuitive eating and kind of learned about it. And it was the first time anyone said to me, you know, what if the problem weren't that you can't stick to your diet? You know, what if the problem was that you're on a diet to begin with? You know, that you're on this restrictive pattern that's really kind of antithetical to your biology. You know, humans are not designed to make choices around food with their brains. 
they're designed to make choices around food with our bodies. You know, like we are animals. We have instincts around food, biological instincts around food. And when we make choices about what's okay or not okay to eat with our mind instead of our body, you know, we we're really, you know, inevitably going to end up depriving ourselves or ignoring our bodies. You know, we're not really in touch with our individual needs. And you're kind of asking for disaster to strike. You're asking for a rebound. And so I started like really thinking about that and being like, this makes sense. And the more I read about intuitive eating, I was like, this makes sense. This makes sense. And, um, kind of made the transition to intuitive eating for a while. I was definitely on the intuitive eating diet, um, which I talk about a lot on my blog, which is basically this idea that like, as long as you're eating when you're hungry and stopping when you're full and eating exactly what your body wants, you're okay. But the second you make a choice to eat something with your mind, you're not okay. (laughs) So it was kind of like extreme in the other direction. Um, so it became the type of thing where like, I would have a panic attack if it was my birthday and somebody like made me a cake at three o'clock in the afternoon and I wasn't hungry and I'd be like, I'm not hungry. Like, am I allowed to eat the birthday cake? Um, so that kind of thing. So now, so then, so, you know, later on down the line, as time goes on, I kind of, eventually I just got to a point where I was like, okay, like I really can't deal with these rules and restrictions at all. Like every time for every rule and restriction, no matter what that rule or restriction is, there seems to be some kind of rebellion. Like it's like immediately, like my brain, my body, my holistic being immediately rebels the second I I put a restriction on, you know, like I could have the thought like maybe I shouldn't eat refined flour and or refined grains. And it's like the second I do that, all I want is a bagel, you know, like that was just so clear to me. So, um, I, yeah. So then I kind of gave up, I gave up all the restrictions and I was just like, you know what? Like, it's okay. Like I'm just going to eat what I like and listen to my body, but also know that my body's not the master or the slave, you know, like my mind and my body are in a partnership and they're allowed to negotiate with each other about what they want to eat at any given time. Um, so that's kind of, sort of kind of takes me pretty close up to the way, where I am now. I, um, also a huge part of this obviously was dealing with body image because it was actually probably around the time that somebody said to me, or I read somewhere from another person who I very much related to. And she said to me, this was actually a woman named, she's, She's another uh, professional in this space. Her name's Cheryl Cantor. She wrote a book called Normal Eating for Normal Weight. And in her introduction, which is basically exactly a very similar story to what I just told you about myself, including the bit about OA. And she basically said, you know, I was never able to stop eating emotionally or binge eating until I became okay with the way my body was right now. And that really resonated with me and and really changed a lot for me because what I realized and the way I now describe it to others today is that when you're not okay with your body or when you're afraid of gaining weight, and when I say afraid, like afraid, like, oh my gosh, like weight gain is the worst thing in the world. Like all, you know, all hell would break loose if I were to gain weight. When we're afraid of gaining weight or really uncomfortable with the way our bodies are now because it has, you know, an impact on the way we feel about ourselves, like deeply, spiritually, emotionally, when our weight has an impact on the way we feel about ourselves in a negative way, basically restriction around food is inevitable. And of course, then binging is too, you know, like it's impossible not to judge our food choices when we are afraid of gaining weight or uncomfortable with the way our bodies are now. So that was a, that was kind of a sort of another little tidbit to add in another little like kind of final, uh, bit of my story that was really, really critical in my evolution. So I I can't tell if that was the short version of the story or the long (laughs) version of the story. I think it was probably somewhere in the middle. That was like medium length. Yeah. I think your story is definitely, it's one that I haven't really heard that often. I mean, you've bounced around from all different types of eating disorders, but you're now at a place where you're just really content and happy with your body and your, your mental, you know, health towards how you look and how you feel. Um, 
but my question for you is like the body image thing that you kind of touched on. How, mm-hmm. how do you go about making that positive body image? How do you like, for me personally, it's just really hard for me to, I don't feel like I'm where I want to be yet. Basically. I feel like I've struggled with body image my whole life. And mm-hmm. I, I too read into it. I read the book intuitive eating, I actually listened to it on tape on this really, really long road trip. And I had like, I've had so many breakdowns in my life just being like, I am so done with this. Like I'm so through with it, but I can't say like 100% that I'm where like I want to be mentally like towards my body. I think I'm really close and I'm, I'm starting to be more comfortable in my skin no matter what shape or size I am. But I don't have that aha moment or that moment where it's like, Oh, I'm 100% happy with where I am today. So I know that you can't say that, like, you know, the key to this is blah, blah, blah. But how would you go about, like, telling someone who's struggling with this kind of thing, like, how you went about changing your perspective on your body and, like, seeing yourself as a human and not, like, a sculpture that needs to have abs and muscular, you know, glutes and just be, be like, happy with your body? How, how, do you, how do you recommend someone go about that? Yeah. Well, so I guess I just have a question for you first before I answer that, which is because it's always, you know, everyone's different, right? Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of tailor it a little bit. But would you say, are you a person who's like completely happy with their relationship with food, but is really struggling with the body image piece exclusively? Meaning like you don't anticipate any major fluctuations in your weight. You just are un- like having a hard time accepting where you are and what your body looks like right now. So... Uh, I honestly think that my relationship with food is better than it's ever been. Like at least better than it's been for the past like 10 years, but Mm -hmm. I still see carbs. I still see fat and I still see protein on my plate. And I still know that, you know, carbs are best to have at this time of the day. And then fat's better to have this time because fat does this for my brain. And maybe if I eat Mm -hmm. more fat, then I should eat less carbs. And it's kind of like, I have all this information in my brain. I know exactly what nutrients do in my body and I want to forget about it. You know, mm-hmm. like I yeah. want it to be gone and I'm glad I have that knowledge and I'm glad I can, can use it to my advantage, but I don't see myself like needing to use it to my advantage because like the goal, <laughs> the goal would be to have a certain type of body. If I were to start structuring my diet for a certain type of body, that would be my goal. And then like, then what? Because like, I've definitely right. done the dieting thing and I've had the body of my dreams or close to it, leanness wise, at least, but nothing happened. There were no fireworks. And, <laughs> and like, honestly, I had, I had no relationships. I had no boyfriend. Like I had I, in the past, like four months leading up to that, that body I had, I went to like a restaurant maybe once because I was so terrified of like them putting anything in it, like terrified. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. like, I had nothing except for that body. And it was just me and the body just chilling, like watching TV together, like not eating, just chilling. And like, that's not what I want to do again. So I'm trying to remember that. And then, you know, it's like just so much going on in my head. Right. Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I just want to congratulate you because you're even just like the slightest bits of like progress that you've made with food are a reflection of the slightest bits of progress around your body, right? Like relinquishing that, what you said, that fear, right? Like that I'm terrified of going to a restaurant because I'm like terrified of like losing this, right. Mm -hmm. Or, or screwing up my body anymore or whatever. Um, and, but I will say really quickly, but I, but I will say it like makes sense, right? Like when we still struggle with the body image, I don't think I've ever met somebody who really truly was over their, you know, food stuff without pretty well handling the body image stuff. You know, essentially one triggers the other. Like once you are, once you're in like bad body zone, like once you're like in a state where you're like judging your body or feeling fat or fearing fat in quotes, the restriction around food or sort of like the mindset around food or the judgment of food, the shame around food, that's an automatic response, right? Like that's, that's really key for people to understand is that like the key to ending that noise about food in your head is body image, just straight up Mm. body image. As long as you are obsessed with like, or as long as you're like worried about your weight or concerned about your weight or in fearful mode around your weight, you're going to be in that same mode with food, right? Worrying about your weight and worrying about food are two sides of the same coin 
they go together, they can't be separated. So that's number one. Number two, as far as, okay, so knowing that information, what do we do? How do I actually change my relationship with my body? So this is a long-term process, right? This doesn't happen overnight, but I will say that there's two primary kind of umbrella categories of body image problems that need to be handled in order for you to get to the other side, right? Like in order to start to really make peace with your body, which again is a long-term process, there's two areas that you need to kind of reconcile and challenge in your brain. One is your personal relationship with weight and how you're using weight control to manage your feelings. People think that emotional eating has to do with using food to manage their feelings, but really it's about managing weight to manage your feelings, right? Like not, not food. The food is a symptom. The food is an outcome because food and weight are two sides of the same coin. The food is an outcome of trying to manage your weight and we use our weight, we try to manage our weight as a way to manage our feelings. So I'll give you an example of what I mean when I say we are actually trying to manage our weight to manage our feelings, not the food to manage our feelings. Okay. So manage our weight to manage our feelings. What that means is like what you said, I thought it was really astute when you said, I didn't have a boyfriend when I was thin. That's so weird. I thought that I would have all of my dreams met and everything would be great and like unicorns and rainbows would like pop out of the sky the second that I got to my goal weight. Why didn't that happen? Because we actually have this tape playing in our head. Like if I were able to control my weight, I would be able to control the universe. If I were able to lose X number of pounds, I could get so-and-so man to like me. I could get my husband to, you know, be more attracted to me. I could get, like I said, like my friends to respect me. I could get, I'd be like the queen of my social circle. I'd be whatever, right? Generally, like 99% of the time, the things we're trying to control are other people's opinions of us. Okay, so that's sort of like number one is realizing that the reason that we actually are not trying to use food to manage our feelings, we're trying to manage our weight to manage our feelings. And the, our relationship with food, the emotional eating, the binge eating, all of it is just a symptom. It's just a reaction to this wanting to manage our weight to manage our feelings. And again, the reason that we, the, the way in which that works out logistically is that when we are, whatever it is that we think we're going to get when we're thin, that's the thing that we're trying to control that we, that honestly our weight will never control, right? Like losing weight doesn't get you a boyfriend, but the truth of the matter is, is that we don't have that much control over how other people feel about us. We don't have that much control over whether or not a man is attracted to us. We don't have that much control over how our friends view us. We don't have that much control over whether or not people like us. And that's really scary for human beings who require love. Mm-hmm. So when we're terrified about how people perceive us, right, and when we, like, live in a, con like, constant state of fear of, like, oh, my gosh, how are people viewing me? You know, how can I control how people feel about me, et cetera, et cetera, 90, nine times out of ten, we fall back on our weight as a comfort mechanism. Like, oh, okay, well, if I just lost five pounds, if I just lost ten pounds, if I just lost 40 pounds then I could control how these people feel about me. Because the truth is there's, there is no way to control that. We have no way of controlling that, and it's very scary. So we delude ourselves into thinking that our weight will do it. It, like, it gives us comfort. It like makes, it's like with the diet, with every diet, is this hope that life is, on, life is better on the other side. Does that make sense? Are you with me no, so far? No, yeah, that makes total sense. It's, it's really funny that you say that. It's kind of like ringing a bell with me because – when I was um, when I was competing like for my bikini competition, which I talk about a lot on my blog, so um, I bring this up a bit when I'm just referencing things. But for example, I was dating someone towards the end of my show, and like he was really really excited for me to finish my show because he assumed that when I was done, I would kind of start being normal, like a normal person. And hmm. 
it, he, what he didn't really know is that is me. Like yeah. intense, 100%, all or nothing, like meal plan, meal planning, like cooking 35 chicken breasts every single Sunday and slicing right. them up and weighing it four ounces of this, like a cup of broccoli and like I'm done. Like no dates. I'm sorry. You want a date? I'm uh-huh. sorry. No, that's not for me. You know, that's kind of how like the attitude I had and eventually it just like really got between the two of us. And, you know, he would say like you're – probably the most self-disciplined person I've ever met. And mm-hmm. it wasn't necessarily a compliment, mm. you know? So yeah. Like he's basically being like, you're a control freak. Right. And it was like, I see that you're like really into controlling, aren't you? Yeah. And to me, it was like, I just want to be myself and this is me. And eventually we broke up and, uh, in like, this is really sad, but I just had this huge sigh of relief because I was like, finally I can spend all day at the gym and eat whatever I want like, why? Like, I don't know. I just, I, I later beat myself up about that because I, you know, I wanted to get back together with him and I was, you know, I was, you know, comfortable with him and I wanted that comfort back really. We weren't meant to be together whatsoever. We're just very different people. Still uh-huh. like him. He's a great guy. If you're listening, you're still a great guy. <laughs> but um, uh, it was just, I don't know. It's really weird how after that breakup happened, I was like really stoked to go back to being 100% in control and like, that I soon realized that's my marriage and that's my future. That relationship with that terrible relationship that I had growing with my body and with food, that's where I was going to end up. You know, when I'm 50 years old, that's going to be who I'm married to. And there's just a moment where it hit me and I was like, I can't, I can't deal with this all my life because my relationship with food can't take me on dates and my relationship with food can't go shopping with me and my relationship I can't take my relationship with food to my parents house you know like that's all I had yeah but it's very telling how he was talking about the control stuff because I would imagine you know most women who have control issues around food also deal with control issues in a lot of areas of your life you know like we develop the whole point of this conversation right is that like we develop this food thing because it's an, it's an easy go-to to give us that false sense of control, like we just discussed. And the thing is, is that there's so many, you know, there's, it's, so, it's so scary for people to feel out of control. Like, it's really, 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 really scary to feel like, guess what? Most of the things that happen to you are completely dictated by the universe and have nothing to do with you. Like you could get hit by a car tomorrow. Like you could meet the love of your life tomorrow or you could not meet him for 50 years. Like that's scary. That's really scary stuff. That's a really scary reality to face. And we're constantly fighting that fear by trying to like make sure like our like bed corners are perfect and like make sure that our right like make sure and like food is just an it's just an easy thing to control it's like a really really like easy our body becomes like this really addictive false sense of control but in reality like a lot of us are doing this in many areas of our life we're just like I said control freaks you know (laughs) yeah the bed corner thing I've I've actually had an experience with that when I I used to come home from college and my mom would like to move my bed over like a foot and Mm. I would freak out like (laughs) I don't know what was wrong with me but like she we even bring this up all the time because every time I'd come home like she'd move the bed over because it was easier for her to tuck the sheets back in and I liked it pushed up against the wall. So she would move it and I'd be like, mom, why do you have to move everything when I leave? And like, we'd end up in tears and like upset at each other all because of the bed. Like what? Yeah. 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 So this is the type of stuff that, that does hurt relationships. Do you know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. this is the type of stuff that hurts like, you know, like you said, like, I don't want to be like, I want to be able to be flexible and like, coexist with another human being, my food problem isn't going to be able to take me out to dinner in 10 years, you know? So like, this is like, this is, this is where we start to kind of get beyond the food and really start to think about. So, so anyway, well, I'm kind of getting a little bit vague and ambiguous and into space right now. But the point of this, just to take it back to the body image conversation is that a big part of dealing with one half of the conversation about body image is dealing with the reasons why we're trying to manage our, our weight to begin with, which is often to control something else, right? We don't try to control our weight in a vacuum. We try to control our weight to control something else. And 
practicing, you know, whatever it is that works for you, if it's spiritual practice, if it's whatever, I mean, there's a lot of work that people do to deal with this control issue, but that's really what it is, right? Like the body image component doesn't really go away unless we start dealing with the underlying fear of being out of control in another way. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a whole big conversation of how you do it. And there's actually a lot of different ways to deal with that. Like, but I think, I think just for starters, just like having, just like breathing a sigh of relief. Like I know, for example, um, you know, when I'm having like my photos taken, I used to just like, my body image would be like fine. And then like all of a sudden I had like a photo shoot or something like that. And I would like feel fat, right? Like the fat feeling would just like come up and it would come up like when there was a photo shoot or like when I had an interview or when like I was going on a first date, right? All these, I'm sure this is not brain science, right? I'm sure everyone relates to feeling fat before a date or, you know, before a photo shoot or before, you know, these are kind of obvious times when people's body image stuff would come up. But the truth of the matter is like the reason that we have those feelings, what does feeling fat really feel like? It feels like insecurity. It feels like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, what if he doesn't like me? Like, what if I don't look good and people like whatever? And that's not even what if I don't look good. It's what if other people don't think I look good? What if I don't get the job? What if I screw up? What if, you know, dot, dot, dot. So what if I can't control how other people feel about me? So when we're feeling fat, it's like really being conscious of like your feel, your fat feelings in quotes are usually emotions of insecurity, anxiety, nervousness, fear, in disguise. So a big, so I would say half of the conversation, half of the body image conversation has to do with dealing with that underlying stuff, right? Like dealing with your underlying life stuff that is, that is being expressed as a body, poor body image thought, right? Poor, you know, negative body image. Those like when you like randomly, just like you were fine this morning and all of a sudden you feel really fat, like nothing Mm -hmm. changed. Your body didn't change, but all of a sudden you feel really different that's emotional, right? Like something happened. There's some sort of insecurity. There's some sort of anxiety. There's some sort of nervousness. What is it that you're actually feeling afraid of? What is it that you're actually feeling nervous about? There's something going on. So that's half of the body image conversation is like figuring out, is like being committed to really figuring out and dealing with the actual fear that is Basically, that is just being expressed as a fat feeling. It's just being expressed as negative body image. It's not really about your weight. It's just that that's how we, that's what it, when we feel insecure, we feel fat, right? Like we, it's hard for us to tell the difference. That's how it, that's how it's expressed in us. Well, what about, like, for example, what about if you're going shopping and, like, so you, you see yourself in, like, the dressing room, for example, Target, because they have, like, the absolute worst dressing room lighting. Well, like, yep. what if you, like, what if you're getting dressed in there and you look different than you did the last time you were there, which was, like, six months ago, and you just don't like what you see? Okay, so, well, looking different is a really ambiguous, vague thing. I don't really know if looking different counts because, like, I think, I mean, I know for me, I'm very dysmorphic. Like, I could look different from one day to the next. But if you're talking about, like, changing sizes, like, something more, like, realistic and tangible, like, oh, I'm two sizes heavier than I was six months ago. Now I feel badly about myself, right? That's a completely – that's the other half, which we didn't get into yet, (laughs) which is – what I call, which is called the social side of things. Hmm. So there's the independent, personal, emotional side of body image, which has to be dealt with. And then the other half is the social component, which really has to do with, which is, which is easier or more difficult depending on how you look at it. Um, the social half has to do with challenging social norms and challenging beauty standards, right? And really challenging fat stigma, challenging weight stigma, challenging the ideal beauty type in the Western world, which is very scary for a lot of people because if there's one thing that no one wants to do, it's be different. If there's one thing that very few people want to do, it's like stand up for something or go against the grain or be countercultural. That is a very difficult thing to do. Some people have a better tolerance for it than others, right? Like some people, you know, I find that like my clients who come from like activist backgrounds or like more progressive backgrounds, they have a slightly easier time with it. But even for those people, 
it's really, really challenging because a lot of people are like progressive in the way where they're like, it's progressive when like the progressive thing that they're talking about is cool. Like, or like when the progressive thing isn't really progressive because everyone in their life agrees with them. So when you're talking about weight stigma or, you know, challenging what beautiful means, that's really hard for people, but it's also a, 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 I would say an, a critical piece of this. Like I do think that there is a piece of this that just is in order to not be afraid of weight gain, right? In order to not be afraid of your body, in order to not be afraid of um, the food on your plate, there has to be a part of you that is willing to challenge the idea that being attractive or being beautiful only looks one way. And, um, yeah, so, so that's sort of like the second component of this is like challenging social norms. Now there's a lot of different ways that I, you know, kind of give suggestions for women how to do this. You actually can change the, what you believe to be beautiful. Like your idea of beautiful is actually very malleable. People don't understand that. People think like, oh, like, I just think this is beautiful. That's just how I am. No, it's not. You were not born that way. You were taught that. And I can prove it. So, like, for example, I remember when Ugg boots came out, I was like, those are the ugliest things I've ever seen in my entire life. I literally, the first time I saw an Ugg boot, I was like, that is disgusting. That is the ugliest thing I have ever seen. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, so funny. And, and, like, probably a year later, I was definitely had, like, four pairs. Mm-hmm. Because, like, I was trained, right? Like, I learned through repetition and through hanging out with other people that thought Ugg boots were cute, that Ugg boots were cute. And eventually, I literally started, my vision for them started to change. Like, I, I literally, my taste for them started to change. Same with, like, high-waisted jeans or even, like, skinny jeans at one point. Do you remember like, gauchos? Uh, I don't. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Those were, like, the. they were so in. They're, like, these, like, super stretchy, soft cotton capri lounge pants and they're like they look like balloon pants but cut off at like your knees or like your calves or whatever they're hilarious yeah. <laughs> I, had, I had a million pairs I'm you know I liked it yeah. but they started out pretty weird looking yeah exactly exactly so that's what people don't understand it's like your your idea of what's attractive can actually change over time it's not you're not like born that way there's no like dna for like i think beauty looks this way like beauty is not a stagnant fixed thing it's like a it's totally cultural and anything that's cultural can change very easily right like move to a different country and it's different and you'll change you start to change as you're surrounded by people and as you surround yourself like with different types of beauty in quotes so that's sort of the social component. This is super important. I mean, like, I would say, like, the most immediate and obvious suggestion I can give to people is just, like, can you think of one person who is your size or bigger who is sexy and owns it and is, like, hot? Can you think of one person who falls into that category? Mm -hmm. Because let me tell you, like, I can pretty much think of somebody who is hot as hell on every end of the weight spectrum, every end of the weight spectrum. And if you like, just, if you wanted to like name a size or a weight range, I could tell you somebody effing gorgeous who is sexy as hell in that weight range. I swear to God. So, and it, like, and I'm like, I like look for this now. Like this is a big part of my current daily practice is I'm super into body positivity and I surround myself with like gorgeous, sexy women of every size all around the weight spectrum. And I ask myself, what is it about them that's so sexy at every size? You know, like, what is it? Like, what are they doing that they are so sexy at all these different sizes? And I learn from that, right? Like, I start to train myself, like, wow, like, I can be sexy at this size. Like, oh, wow, like, my butt is kind of cute. Like, oh, wow, like, I, my boyfriend wants to touch it, you know, like, all that kind of stuff. So, um, that's a whole nother conversation is dealing, I think dealing with romance and body image is sort of like deserves its own podcast. Um, but you know, that's another sort of deal breaker for me is I, I want to surround myself with people who are not fat shaming 
because I want to surround myself with body positive people because I know that culturally, I know this is actually, there's like science to prove this. Like the more you spend time with people who are influencing you towards like a body positive, like beauty at various sizes who aren't fat shaming, who don't believe that beauty looks one way, who are beautiful at various different sizes, the more you just expose yourself to those types of people and limit your interactions with body shaming people, the more comfortable you become with your body. So, you know, and that's media. another media as well. Yeah. I, I had like a certain point in my time where, I mean, a certain point in my life where I had to just unfollow or just period, like get off uh, Instagram because I was <laughs> looking at all these Instagram pictures of people I was following with like, Oh, getting ready for this show. And like, they had their super popping abs out and their girls and, and like these women that look absolutely amazing. And for some reason, it's so addicting to like keep flipping through the Instagram and looking at these photos and like dreaming and wishing and thinking like that can be me. But like I even wrote a post about this. That same person that might be looking like that could have the most terrible life because of their, their choices. Like They might be giving up every single thing else in their life, like their relationships and their mental health and school and their job and like sacrificing everything for that body. And all they can really do is post pictures of that body and then get positive feedback, feel good about themselves and keep doing it and stay in that cycle. And it's so hard to get out of that cycle. And once you're out, you can finally kind of see the light. But there's just so many people out there that have not had that experience yet and they haven't got like found themselves inside of that cycle. So they, they just see these bodies and they just think like, wow, I want to look like that. And they sit like in their living room by themselves eating peas and carrots, like day after day, <laughs> like hoping that they can look like that when they're missing, like they're just missing the point of life. And yeah. it's yeah. just, it's just so rough. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you bring up Instagram because, you know, like anything can be used for good or evil. I actually am obsessed with Instagram because that's where I follow all my body positive people. You know, Mm. like I have like so many plus size models on my Instagram. It's crazy. Um, So, yeah, I don't know. Did there just like I can't I feel like I just heard music playing somewhere. That was weird. But um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, like I follow, like, like I could give you a list. I mean, there's, I could, I literally, I think that I follow, like, I follow various models from like size, like eight to size 24, like literally all of them. And they're just like, so amazing. Like, they're just so, they are so inspiring. Like, I really, I'm a big fan of like, just like follow people who inspire you to feel good in your own skin on Instagram, like follow people who are your size or bigger and work in it. Um, because they are awesome. They will literally, they will change your perception of beauty. And to be honest, I, I, I don't, I do not think it's possible to, I think it's very difficult to let go of like this, like fear of fat and fear of food and all that stuff. I think it's very difficult to do that if you don't start to challenge social norms a little bit. Right. I think that's such an important key to like changing your outlook on your body. I mean, I I noticed a really big difference when I started doing that. And of course I still have times where I I mean, I look on Instagram and see people's bodies, and I'm like, oh, my God, I missed when I was doing my competition. Maybe I should do a competition again. Just kidding. Never mind. Okay, wait. Maybe I should. And, like, just going right. in, like, the circle and, like, making that – like, I even moved. I moved to Colorado in late, late, late December, and mm-hmm. it wasn't like I was running from anything, but I just felt this really strange need to get out of Texas and um, get out of the circle that I was in, kind of. Because I was kind of expected to be somebody and I was that person. I was surrounded. I mean, I was finally getting to the point where photographers were noticing me and they wanted to set up photo shoots and people were coming to me for advice on, you know, health, fitness, whatever. And that is where I wanted to be so bad for so long. And then once it started happening, I was like, oh no, I I won't be able to get out of this. Like, I'm finally where I wanted to be. And it terrifies me and this is not where I want to be for the rest of my life. And I kept trying to think of like, like I had my own coaching business for, um, like for not competition, not like bikini competitions, but just like losing weight or gaining muscle. That was kind of what I was doing as I was coaching people through that. And I needed it to stop. 
And I had to decide, okay, I need to stop doing this because I don't want to put people what I went through. And I'm not going to be teaching that anymore. And I even took off my, I had this ebook on my website called The Moon Power Cleanse. And it was like how to um, get healthy or like a, a healthy Kickstarter plan for 28 days. And it was like not what I wanted to be teaching anymore. I mean, it's still a good program for people that need to learn what eating clean means. But so like if anyone out there bought that, it's still like useful, but just don't take it too seriously because I have like calories on there and I have a meal plan on there. It says like, this is how many calories you'll be eating this, this day. And this is the workout you'll be doing this day. And it was like five days of working out and like this meal plan. And I was teaching people to do exactly what I would need to stop doing. And I had to take it off my website, even though I was making some money on it. I was like, mm-hmm. I'd much rather be teaching the right message and like, have my entire website and everyone know what I'm about now, then like string this along and teach people to do something that I would never recommend ever again. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Good for you. Amen. Amen. I know. <laughs> I know. Um, well, you know, it's funny. I didn't realize, well, you should get into, there's um, this chick named Katie H. Wilcox, who I'm really into on Instagram. And she is, she started uh, like a natural modeling agency which is all like women who are just like refuse to ascribe to any particular standard of modeling either like because even within the plus size industry it's like to be plus size like you have to like look this way and you have to have like this certain shape and like you know there's all sorts of the entire modeling world is kind of screwed up Mm -hmm. I mean not not screwed up but like it's it's a specific defined way of beauty right like It's, it's it's subjective it's what they want Right, right, exactly. So, um, yeah, so this chick, Katie H., she was a plus-size model, and then she ended up actually losing weight, and she couldn't get work, but she was also not thin enough to be a regular, like, to be, like, a model model, a, quote, regular model. Um, And so she started her own agency, and she has, like, all her girls all over Instagram, and they're all just, like, you know, what I would call like the medium sized woman, which I've written about a little bit, which is sort of like in between like your ideal thinness, but like also not plus size, not um, like can still shop like on still shopping in like regular stores. Um, and yeah, they're really interesting to watch on Instagram. And then also there's tons of plus size models who are super interesting and have diverse body ranges too. I find that as plus size models get bigger, they actually get more diverse as far as shape. Um, so, you know, there's a, there's lots to see, there's lots to, to kind of just expose yourself to, you know, and just like, I use it as a mental exercise. Like I remember when I first started like looking, I remember first looking at like, I would judge other women totally in like my worst moments, you know, like when I like, because I just had such a specific idea of what was beautiful and it only looked one way. Like you had to be super skinny or like I thought you were gross. So I thought myself was gross if I wasn't super skinny too. Like it was a total affliction of the mind. It was really, really not healthy for me. And one of the ways that I started to also get comfortable with my own body was starting to look for the beauty in other women, Mm -hmm. right? And like starting to really say like, okay, maybe I can't see the beauty in myself right now but can I see the beauty in somebody who's my size that isn't me? Or maybe can I start to see the beauty even in somebody who's bigger than me who's not me, right? Like can I start to look for beauty in other women? Wow. And that's very, very powerful if you're particularly for women who are struggling. Wow. I've like never even thought about that as using that as kind of like a practice but mm-hmm. that's really that's really powerful. Like just the thought of it, it's really inspiring. Yeah, yeah. I have a couple. I have a couple women that I really look up to on, like movie stars. What's her name? Have you ever seen the show Girls? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I feel like you would like that show. But um, <laughs> what's her name? Lena. Lena Dunham. She is a rock star. Like I am oh, obsessed I with her. Like I don't know. Me too. And when I think about it, what is it about her that I love so much? And it's like. like Total she's, incomplete. She, I don't she's know, the, like what is it? She's she's the most authentic person in Hollywood by a wide margin. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. She's awesome. I mean, she's really I have 
an incredible amount of respect for it. It's funny because I think like I live in Brooklyn. I live in Greenpoint, like Williamsburg, North Brooklyn area. And it's like hip to like be over Lena Dunham and it's hip to like think she's not cool. And I'm like, you're jealous. Like Lena Dunham is forever going to be the coolest person mm-hmm. on the planet. She has completely revolutionized Hollywood and she has done more for women than almost anyone in our entire generation by a very wide long shot. So Right. I am Lena Dunham's biggest fan. She has like yeah. beauty and brains, everything. Oh, she's yeah, no, she's awesome. She is awesome, and and I think that she, you know, girls is an awesome, awesome commentary. She says some very incredibly smart things, even just in the first episode of the girls. Season one, episode one, she says some incredibly insightful things about weight stigma. She's really, really on it. What do you think about <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence? Um, you know, I think that Jennifer Lawrence is like really head in the right place. Um, I don't think she's particularly well-educated about this topic. Like I think, I think that Lena Dunham has much more well-rounded, more informed things to say on the topic of weight stigma. But I think that Jennifer Lawrence is really doing her best, um, with what she knows to just, you know, let people know, Hey, I, I don't, think it's okay to be, you know, I don't think that there's only one way to look and I don't think that it's okay to be, you know, starving yourself and treating your body poorly in order to shove yourself into this mold of what you think you're supposed to be. So I think, I think Jennifer Lawrence is, you know, I think she's all good. Um, but I do think that she is not, you know, for me, she doesn't have anything particularly insightful to say, whereas like Lena Dunham really does. Lena Dunham is a smart cookie. Right. I totally agree. Well, um, this has probably been one of the best conversations I have had in a really long time. And um, Good. before we sign off, can you let the listeners know where they can find you and look you up? Yeah. So um, my website, well, hopefully you'll, I don't know if you can put this in the show notes because it's a little complicated to spell out, but um, my name is just my name.com, isabelfoxenduke.com, which is spelled I-S-A-B-E-L-F-O-X. E N D U K E. Um, and when you go there, if you, I mean, for who, anyone who's interested in what I teach and what I do, I highly suggest you download my, I have a free guide like right on my website called how to not eat cake, which talks about sort of you know, relinquishing food rules and changing a relationship with food, sort of the intro basics. And that'll get you on my newsletter, which I am um, pretty good about only sending out really valuable content. You know, my, my you'll get newsletters like once every week or two, coaching emails like once every week or two. And I'm pretty stringent with only sending out, you know, really solid content that will help you. So, yeah, I hope, uh, hope to see you guys there. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us again. And thank you, everyone, for listening. I'm Maddie Moon, and you've been listening to the Mind Body Musings podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to rate and review it in the iTunes store, as well as subscribe. Also, please remember I'm glad to continue the conversation on my website, moonfitness.net, where you can also sign up for my free e-course, Mind Body Satisfaction Sacrifice Free. I created this e-course to help everyone that struggles with body image, dieting, overtraining, and negative self-esteem to learn how to not only accept who you are, but love who you are. This is coming from an ex-fitness model and bikini competitor, so trust me, I know what it's like to have those struggles and to want to be free of them. So please, if any of that sounds good, head on over to moonfitness.net and sign up. Thanks for listening. Thanks.